Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Great episode of the podcast coming up today as we have author Stephen Guinan coming on to talk about one of the greatest teams in football history that you may have never heard of. We will have Steve tell us all the details about his book and a team coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And once again, we're going to stare down that portal and go back in time a little bit and talk about an area of football that is unbeknownst to many people, a very good team that happened in the 1970s and played some very good games with some very good players. And as a matter of fact, they may be one of the best teams ever to don the uniforms of the gridiron. And to have this discussion, we have an author that has written about this team and i'll let him reveal the team to you here in a bit and his name is steven guinan uh steven guinan welcome to the pig pen thanks so much for having me this will be fun yeah i'm really excited to talk about this topic which we'll get to in just a moment but before we do steven maybe you could tell the listeners just a little bit about yourself and how you became a, a football fan enough to author a book on football sure Sure. Uh, Well, I'm from Toledo, Ohio. I grew up there in the 1970s and I'd read the paper. I was learning to read and, and, you know, decode headlines. And my father was a big football fan. He rooted for the Lions. He, he, you know, his background was in Detroit. So he rooted for things in Michigan. Uh, And then there was this other team named the Toledo Troopers that got a lot of headlines. The Toledo Blade covered this team. They're a group of women who played football and I, I just, that's what we, you did. You watched the, you watched or followed this team from Toledo, which was Toledo's uh, only professional football team as it was, as the, the story went. Um, so they were really good too. And they were winning and, and everybody loves a winner. So we would get behind them. And then at a certain point, there was just no more headlines. They, they just disappeared. The league folded, but they really, you didn't really read about that aspect. You just, they were gone. And so, you know, I, I, over time, I was like, what, what was that? What was that team that, that played? And then by chance, I happened to meet the coach's son who introduced himself as the winningest, as the, as the son of the winningest coach in pro football history. And I'm like, you know, who, who's your dad, Tom Landry, you know? <laughs> um, and he said, no, my dad coached the Toledo troopers. So, I'm like, oh, you that that was the team that I, I remember them. What happened to them? And so I got to meet him, and and then I ultimately got to meet the coach himself. And then over time, I got to meet the players, 
And uh, it just, it's, you know, it, 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 on the outside, it's a great story. Women playing football in 1970s and being really good at it. You know, that's the hook. But then when you go deeper and actually meet some of the players and talk to the coaches and, you know, see pictures and film and touch the uniforms that they wore, it really becomes an untold part of history. You know, they played from 1971 to 1979. Uh, During Bill Stout's coaching, he was 46 and one. You know, that's why they call him the winningest. It's a remarkable record. They played all around the, the country. They played in Dallas, Oklahoma City, New York, Cleveland, and regional too. You know, played Cleveland, Buffalo, and, and De- you know, Detroit, Columbus. So, um, you know, they, they, it was at a time when, when, when the owners of the league really thought legitimately there could be a national football league for women like there is the WNBA. Uh, perhaps they were inspired by the, you know, the merger uh, in, the, in the 1960s that gave us the Super Bowl era. So, um, you know, it's a story about the, the women who played and the coaches who played, but it's also a story about, you know, those who dreamed a league like that could happen. Well, it sounds extremely interesting. So let's just for clarification purposes, let's let, uh, make sure the audience knows this is not uh you know, the so-called like lingerie league or anything like that. This is real football being played by, by young ladies that uh, are out there in full gridiron pads, hitting, tackling, running, doing everything that the, their male counterparts do. Is that correct? Yes. Thank you for pointing that out. People think the, the lingerie league, in fact, it was it, the, the promoter who, who started the league was from Cleveland and he did imagine it to be a little more like a lingerie league. But when the Toledo team got organized and Bill Stout, you know, uh, got behind the team and the players who got behind playing football, they were they, they were there to play football and to learn how the, the you know, to play the game as it was meant to be played as the men were playing it. They were coached as football players, not as as, you know, models or or anything else. They, and that's one of the reasons they were so good. Yes, it's good old fashioned 11 on 11 full pads, uh, American football. Okay, before we get uh, specifically into the Toledo team, let's take a 50,000 foot view here and the tell us a little bit about what the league is that they played in in, in the 70s if you would please. Tell us about the the league? Yes, please. Oh, oh I see. So it began with a, you know, a promoter from Cleveland started the the Women's Professional Football League. I might even even go you know, 50, 60,000 feet above and, and look at Ohio as a place where is really the birthplace of football. And in particular, Toledo. Uh, and this is, you know, something I learned through researching the book. I didn't realize that Toledo was one of the first NFL teams back in the 20s. And then, you know, you look into um, as the league grew, uh, you had a, a number of great stars, household names that, that would go on to success in the pros uh, and in college uh, that were from Toledo. So really Toledo can, you know, pride itself on its history of, you know, gridiron greats. And, it, and, and sure enough, there's the winningest team. The, 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 there are women who played. So um, Sid Freeman was the promoter in Cleveland, and he started the Women's Professional Football League. And then when Bill Stout and the Troopers wanted to take it a different direction, a more legitimate direction, they broke off and formed the National Women's Football League, the WNFL. So a little bit of a, a name confusion for, for some people. Um, 
And he met with a group of owners from California and Dallas and Detroit and uh, Columbus and, and ultimately Oklahoma City as well, Phil, Philadelphia. So these you know, owners um, attempted to build a, a national league. They had a, you know, they had a commissioner, they had uh, you know, divisions, they envisioned a kind of East Coast, West Coast divisional Super Bowl happening and that happened for a few years. And uh, so, you know, it was, again, it was, you know, at a time when, when many sports leagues were, were forming, you had the, the emergence of the ABA, the American Basketball, Basketball Association. How about the World Football League? You guys probably have talked about the World Football League from the 70s. Absolutely. <laughs> and and uh, so it was a time when, you know, why not? Let's, let's see if we can capitalize on this enormous popularity of the sport. Uh, here's some women who are playing football and they're really good at it. They compete at the highest level of, you know, their sport. And it's, it's a great product and, and it should sell uh, or it can sell one day. So I think that's the, you know, and that's happening. That story is happening to this day. What was the professionalism level of the league? Was it a semi-pro league or was it a fully professional where the, that's the only job that they, the players had? Or oh, no, they, they worked full time. They were paid if the box office, you know, rendered it. They were maybe $25 a game sometimes. A lot of the players kept the receipts to show that, hey, I was pro. I was, I was paid to play football. So, I mean, I'm not really sure how to get into the distinction of, of semi or real pro. Um they practice five nights a week, you know, they, they, you know, three hours a night. Uh, it was the thing they loved to do. And when they went out and faced another team, they, they, you know, they played uh, at the highest level of their sport and it bore out in the scoreboards, you know, in their records. And it didn't matter if they were ahead by five or six touchdowns. In some cases, they still just kept pounding. I mean, they went out there to hit hard. They went out there to score. And if you didn't like it, you know, try to stop them. That was sort of their, their attitude. You know, they, 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 you know, if that's what makes a professional, then they were, that, that's what they were. Well, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, semi-professional in a negative way, because semi-professional, right. I mean, you think mm -hmm. about, you know, the old time football when professional football was starting, you know, players had, and even right up to probably 40 years ago, professional players had to work another daytime job plus practice five, six days a week, plus play one or two games a week. You know, they had a pretty full plate and it's a lot more demanding probably than some of the professional athletes of today where they can focus in on saying, Hey, I'm just going to play this game and go to my practices. They don't have to worry about you know running a, a household and you know, bringing, bringing home enough money for rent and everything like that by having multiple jobs in addition to playing a sport. So that's, that's a complimentary yeah. No, mm -hmm. is what I was trying to make a point of yeah, that. Uh, right. You're so. sure. I mean, sometimes a, a pregnancies often uh, derailed careers for some of these when their football careers jobs, you know, they took they got a different shift that made practice difficult, things like that. They had to, they had to manage a lot of that. It's true. Now, how, how was, was the league uh, pretty diversified as far as, you know, not only in, in race and uh, but, you know, people's status in life of what uh, they did, their careers and things. Is there mm -hmm. a wide variety? I would say so. Uh, absolutely. You had some housewives who, you know, or some mothers. Um, one of the players in 1971 had just given birth three months prior to coming out to play, but wow. found like loved playing. And, you know, her, her husband would, father would take care of the, the child while she would go, go out there and play. And then you had a lot of, 
you know, Toledo factory workers, blue collar people work, work at the Jeep plant or UPS and then go to the, then, then hit the field. You had, uh, you know, Gloria Jimenez uh, worked at a convenience store, but she was also one of, a fan, uh, one of nine brothers and sisters that, you know, migrant farm workers who picked tomatoes on the weekends. And so you, you really had a, a, a real spectrum of demographics, races, religions, creeds, and certainly also, and this is truly, you know, level of, uh, you know, sports knowledge. Uh, for a lot of the women who didn't didn't have the experience a lot of boys have growing up playing sports and and just knowing how to carry themselves around an organized system, but they then they they would take to that real quick. Now that must have been a real challenge uh, for for the coach that you said that you ended up uh, ultimately meeting. And I'm I'm sorry, what was his name again? Bill Stout. Bill Stout. Okay, mm-hmm. so so Coach Stout had uh, you know probably at first probably had a really big job in front of him trying to. Uh, harness in all this this talent and these people that are from diversified lives and uh you know different areas different walks of life and everything to bring them into a team building and mm-hmm. uh I, i'm sure that had to be quite a quite a uh, accomplishment on his part i think so um i think he's he's probably the main character of this story uh he was a washed up football star high school football star plays no played nose guard all city uh for devilvis high school and, uh, you know, didn't quite cut it at the college level. He still had dreams of making it big. Meanwhile, some of his pals, who his former teammates were, you know, if not starring in, in Ohio State, Michigan games, or maybe making it to the pros, they were, you know, they had coaching careers. They coached at the University of Toledo and then other places, that, you know, they used uh, Toledo, their coaching and their football as a stepping stone for a career. And I think, he truly thought that he could trans, you know, um, you know, transfer his his football knowledge and his football attitude into success and, and maybe even a career. So he took to the team and coached them the only way he knew how to play, which is, you know, smash mouth football. Um, and he had a good uh, good uh, set of assistant coaches, Carl Hamilton, Jerry Davis and his brother Mike Stout. These guys, uh, you know, really instilled in his in, in the players and the women a sense of mental toughness. What you have to do. So there was conditioning, you know, there was technique, uh, and there was an attitude about hitting that you know started at the top and and, and carried all the way through the team. Okay. And they took to it. So yeah, it was a challenge for sure. But um, you know, it's like Carl Hamilton told me, he said one of his the mantras was, if you do not hit, if you cannot hit, you are not playing. You should go home right now. So right there, you're going to hit and you're going to learn to hit. And, you know, it means even protecting yourself. But but that's what this game is about. Yeah, I, I gathered that from looking at just the cover of your book, which, by the way, the title is I feel I think we failed to mention this. It's titled We Are the Troopers, the Women of of the winningest team in pro football history by hatchet books. that just got released uh, here late in August of 2022, but on the cover, you have a very interesting cover that really drew me in because at the top, you have sort of a team photograph. Then you have the title of the book sort of in the middle and down below, there's like a, an action play that's going on. And I'm, I'm looking in the background, I'm seeing, you know, 
uh, a player like really putting a, a lick on another player, putting a good block on her. You have uh, mm-hmm. a, a running back that's cutting a corner, you know, finding the edge, and you have it looks like a, a trailing, like maybe it was a quarterback or maybe it was an option play or something coming around the end. It looks, right. I mean, it, it's football definitely, and it's uh, looks like he, he was well coached because everybody's in the right position. There's nobody standing around or anything like that. So that's tremendous. I, I think that photograph really captures the, the essence of what you're saying. Yeah, and I think that the uh, one of the joys of, of researching was discovering, you know, artifacts like that 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 tell the story. That's true. They the footage of them playing is it's like they know what they're doing. They're well coached. They hit hard. They play well. And and uh, I think that that you know I, I wanted that to come through in the in the in the book. So I hope I you know um, you know gave people a new appreciation for for this team and what what women can do on a football field yeah well by the way before we go in any further let's make sure we take a, uh, this first opportunity to show people and tell people where they may get a copy of your book we are the troopers sure thing thanks uh, it's we are the troopers you can find it anywhere you buy books you know i'm sure your local bookstore will have it you can also get it on amazon and all the big places too so uh we are the troopers uh check it out there's also a documentary that I wrote with the coach's son made by Ann Serena Films that is, you know, it's out there and um, hopefully it'll find distribution and maybe a home. But I think that's an awesome compliment to the book because you read the book and then you can watch the documentary and actually see and hear, uh, you know, their voices and see what they, you know, what they say in their own words. It's really, it's terrific. So Anyway, we are the troopers. You can buy it anywhere, uh, anywhere you buy books. Okay. And uh, listeners, if you are driving a car, don't worry about writing it down or trying to memorize the title in uh, Stephen's name. We will have that in the, a link in the show notes of this very podcast. So when you get to a point where you can, uh, you know, exercise your, your thumbs and, and look at, at something, go ahead and uh, pick, pull up the show notes uh, and, uh, pull it up and that way you can get a copy of the book and uh, anything else that uh, Stephen shares with us, we'll, we'll share those links as well, as well as on pigskindispatch.com. So you know, Stephen, you know, going back in, into the team. So the you know, Toledo troopers, they, you know, won this league uh, an amazing amount of times, which uh, I know you've been, you've been telling us and they had uh, some, some pretty good players too. And one in particular, maybe if you could share some insight on, on her and uh, some of the, mm-hmm. the things that the team did. Sure. Uh, Linda Jefferson, you know, I, I say she's the greatest athlete you've never heard of. Uh, to see her play, it, she was the game breaker. Her statistics were off the charts. She averaged about 14 yards a carry one year. Uh, she holds the record for most I'm, touchdowns. I'm, I'm sorry, league. you said you said 14 is in one four yards per carry? 14 yards per carry. Wow. <laughs> um, and she wouldn't get a I – mean, I think Bill Scott, they, they took care of her. They didn't, you know, run her all the time. But when she touched the ball, I mean, a home run threat every time. And in some of the biggest games as well. Uh, they had a, a rivalry with Oklahoma City, who was a team that beat them once. Their one loss was to – Bill Stout's one loss was to Oklahoma City – also, smash mouth team that could hit hard and play hard. Um, in those biggest games, Jefferson shined. She, you know, just was the difference maker. It's even if you, whatever you do to, to stop her, you really couldn't. She was a track star in high school. She graduated the month Title IX was signed into law. Had she graduated a year later, she probably would have gotten a scholarship to play somewhere. Um, as, 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 as scholarships to play softball, baseball, whatever, basketball, it didn't matter. She was just a tremendous athlete. 
super fast, but also agile, a combination of Barry Sanders and Walter Payton uh, could just, just knew football, right? Like, but like she just knew the sport, knew how to hit the hole, knew how to see the, 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 the field, uh, just a natural on the football field. She was women's sport, uh, the magazine, women's sport, uh, a magazine of, you know, women's athletics in the 1970s founded by Billie Jean King. She was the uh, athlete of the year in 1975. She competed in the Superstars. Do you remember that game, the, that show, the Superstars? Right. From the yeah, I do. I do. Uh, you know, we had celebrities and then athletes competing in different different kind of Olympic style events. Uh, she competed, you know, uh, three times in the Superstars against like Martina Navratilova and Althea Gibson and Billie Jean King and all these, you know, kind of names we recognize as incredible pioneering women athletes. She was right there. She was on the Dinah Shore show um, and they kind of staged this little competition with Anthony Davis, who played at USC, who would, who was second in Heisman voting, I believe in 1976. Um, he actually signed a contract to play in the world football league. So he didn't go the NFL route. He was one of the world football leagues, like maybe nascent stars. So he just signed a million dollar contract and, and they had Linda Jefferson and he kind of do this little race kind of, you know, two athletes going toe to toe. Of course, Jefferson wins the race uh, and, you know, has really nothing to show for her really athletic supremacy. Um, but, you know, there were more opportunities for people like Anthony Davis. So she was a um, just an incredible athlete and an amazing speaker, amazing character uh, who loved football and was a great spokesperson for the sport. Um, and, and just, it's a, you know, because it's, it's such an unknown story we don't really you know we don't really think about her too much but you know it's it's, if she were live today you'd be watching tiktoks and 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 little you know youtube videos of her just tearing it up i know just doing some research on her and i think every photograph that i saw of her whether in football gear or or whatever she was she was always dressed with a big smile that uh, seems to be very infectious it's a you know happy to look at when you see somebody as happy as that so uh, you know, I can see where she would be a great spokesperson for the game and, you know, have an inf- infectious personality. Just Yeah, just that's by- a good word. She was just a natural in front of people, warm, engaging, bright, glowing, and always positive, just, you know, a- an amazing person. Now, I, I see, you know, I saw the yardage uh, that you're, you're describing, you know, the 14 yards per carry uh, that she had like over 1300 yards her, her first season. And this really caught my eye, 32 touchdowns in one season. Uh, mm-hmm. That's pretty remarkable. You don't hear of that at all. That's, yeah. That's what... Right. Um, that's right up there. Ladinian Tomlinson, Tomlinson kind of record, just, you know, like I said, a home run threat every time she touched the ball and, and, you know, she didn't get a ton of carries. They didn't really like, you know, um, you know, saddle her with that offense. Bill Stout liked to mix it up and do reverses and 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 uh, different types of schemes uh, to keep defenses honest and and to use some of the other weapons he had too, not just Linda Jefferson. Well, tell us about some of the other players that played on the Troopers. Sure. Um, well, some played. You know, there were two two women played all nine years, um, and some played just for a year, uh, but had you know these transcended experiences on the football field. So writing about them is kind of a balance of how, you know, how do we, you know, they were there then, but not there then. Um, So it was kind of, you know, I tried to string them all together in some ways. 
Um, certainly Sunday Jones is a, is a really great character. She was about six foot two. She played basketball on like a, you know, a travel, uh, a travel team that, that was, you know, Olympic trained, uh, Olympic. She almost made the Olympics in 76. Um, and on the basketball team, they called her Dr. Death because she was a headhunter. I mean, she, she just had a, a mean streak in her on the football field. And there's footage of her just leveling running backs and taking them down, whipping them around. So, you know, there's that, that I don't know, I want to say like, well, to, to put it into that era, like a Jack Tatum type of, you know, first, you know, a fearsome safety coming in from the safety position, just coming up and, and just killing it. Um, and then she, at night, she also, she was a nightclub singer. She had, you know, she was known for her singing. Like she would like in the locker room, she would bust out into song and, and, and just a beautiful voice, crooning voice. And she would do, you know, routines at the Peppermint Club in Toledo. Uh, so just, you know, just a really interesting character there. And, you know, she passed uh, in 2012, so she's no longer with us. But, um, you know, there, there are other characters who populate. I mentioned Gloria Jimenez, who's, uh, you, know, out, you know, she played for the Troopers for eight years. And then now she played for the uh, Furies, which, which was the kind of, which the, the Troopers kind of folded and then became this, the, another organization. And then now there's the Toledo Reign. Mitchie Collette is, uh, you know, first got her start with the Troopers, played for, for six years in the Troopers, and then kind of became sort of a, a, a manager coach in the, for the Furies and now for the Toledo Reign. She's like the matriarch of, of women's football, not just in Toledo, but in a larger sense. She's known around the league uh, as just an advocate for women's football, um, but always speaks really, you know, so, um, you know, endearingly about, about the time she had when she was, you know, forging her, her football career as a trooper. Huh, amazing. I love some of those names too. Those are football names. And you're, you're hearing that, you know, Dr. Death and Sunday Jones and some of the others. Those are, those sound oh, like yeah. great, great names. names. Gloria yeah. Jimenez, Verna yeah. Henderson, um, you know, Olivia Flores, just uh, great, great, you know, athletes in their own right. Pam Schwartz played all nine years, uh, was, you know, part of a big family growing up kind of a lot of, a lot of the women talk about like how they kind of got uh, rough and tumble, uh, upbringing with a lot of brothers and sisters and knew how to like, you know, uh, play aggressively and fight and push and be physical. And, 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 uh, and, uh, and so they, you know, found an outlet for that, found a place in football where it wasn't discouraged, but it was actually what you needed to do to be good. So a lot of them tell that story. Interesting. So, Okay, maybe in a nutshell, I'm sure it was probably different each season, but at what time of the year did these women play and how many games would they play in an average season? Sure. Um, in 1971, I think they had only four games as the, as, the, um, as the league grew. And then 72, they played nine games. One of them was in Texas Stadium. Uh, they played the Dallas Blue Bonnets. Uh, at the, it was kind of the culmination of that year, right after the stadium had opened. Um, and then, then there's that shift between the Sid Friedman's league and Bill Stout's league. So 74 was a shorter season. I think there were only four games that season, but then, then the, the kind of women's, uh, the NWFL started to take off and they would play eight to 10 games from, you know, from 1974 through 1979. They play in the fall, September, October, November, December, 
the championship in 1976 was at the Glass Bowl in Toledo in December. And it was a horrifically cold day, you know, like, you know, it was, it was like the, you know, the, the, the Cowboys uh, Packers game in 60 was at 65 in Lambeau. That was like minus, you know, my below zero wind chill. It was below zero wind chill against the Oklahoma city dolls, a kind of a knockdown drag them out game decided by one controversial point. So, um, you know, that, that was kind of their season. They tried to run it alongside uh, the NFL and college games. Uh, they played They played at night, you know, often at night, Saturday nights. And, you know, after Friday night lights football, then you had Saturday night lights. Uh, WNFL was sort of their, their plan. Um, you know, and it was before there was a really prime time showcase for football. Now we see, you know, football, you know, at night, it's, you know, it's the prime time slot, you know, going back to Monday night football, but back in the seventies, football was a day game, you know, that's when, that's when, you know, football took place. Even the Super Bowls were in the middle of the afternoon. Well, that's, that's quite a testament to, to these uh, ladies that are playing in the, the league organizers and the league itself. I mean, if you're going in, especially in Toledo, I mean, I'm, I'm, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, Toledo, you know, the, the um, troopers are the only professional team at the time, pro football wise, mm-hmm. but you have a lot of pro football around you. Like you described, you know, Detroit's not that far. Cleveland's not that far. Cincinnati's not that far. And uh, you're, you've got some big time college programs too. And I'm sure, sure probably between Ann Arbor and Columbus, you're probably the center point. And I'm sure probably the city's somewhat divided on who their loyalties are to in that big rivalry. So to have a, a woman's league on Saturday evenings, with all the other competition going on, even in the seventies, I mean, that, that's quite a tremendous uh, attribute, not to mention all the high school games going on, like you said. So that, that's Absolutely. Pretty- that's a good point. You know, Toledo, it did not, it really shares its allegiances with all those, all those uh, cities you mentioned. I grew up kind of a tiger fan, kind of a lion fan. Um, you know, um, then Michigan, Ohio state is also split right down the middle in Toledo. Um but still, I think the Toledo Press and, and, and the Blade Writers, there were a group of Blade Writers and a group of, uh, you know, local newscasters who really supported the league. And they, they you know, they gave them ink space in the paper and, 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 and you know, said this is a legitimate, you know, wrote it as a legitimate, you know, enterprise. Women are playing football and they're winning and they had their, you know, they had the box scores and the headlines and the, you know, the beat writers covering the team. So it was, a, you know, I think, you know, the city prided itself on having a, a hometown winner, you know, while they were sharing a lot of, a lot of other allegiances, Hey, this is Toledo. This is us. Yeah. That's uh, now I, I failed to even mention you have the university of Toledo there too. That's uh, playing some big time football. So that's yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, kudos to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, I really appreciate you, you coming on here and telling us about this story. And w- let's tell everybody once again what the title of your book is and where they can get it. And uh, again, if you want to leave your social media for listening. Sure. Well, uh, to, we are the troopers. You can do it, do it, do it, find it that way. And wherever you buy books, thanks so much. You can find me on Twitter, S Guinan, it's S G U I N A N. And 
And from there, you can find the homepage and the links to things and even a link to buy T-shirts if you want or for, you know, the trooper. So there's some memorabilia for the from the troopers if you're interested. But anyway, we are the troopers. We'll get you all you need. Um, you know, thanks so much for 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 talking to me. This is so interesting. Yeah, we, we appreciate you coming on here. Stephen Guinan, author of We Are the Troopers. Uh, great book. Make sure you check it out at the, the outlets that uh, Stephen has described to us. And uh, we appreciate you, sir, for taking this time today to share this story and write the book to share this story with us to help preserve uh, gridiron history. So thank you. Thanks, Darren. That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.